This podcast was produced by Big Night Media, a proud partner of Big Night Entertainment. Hey, you know what? It's really fun to be here. Y'all know that theme music. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up? How we doing, how we doing? And welcome to episode 220, episode 220 of the Banner Banter Podcast. I'm your host and favorite Boston Celtics season ticket holder, Timmy G. How's everyone doing? What a win last night, huh? You can find me on the Twitter machine at Banner Banter 18 or on Facebook and Instagram at Banner Banter Podcast. And as you know, part of the Big Nine Media team with some great podcasts like Drinks After Work, I'm the Promoter, He's the DJ, Eat the Damn Cake, 30 Flirty and Surviving, Music You're Missing, Be Fit, Daycations, A Chance to Strive, No Limits with Kevin Cooney, and the Wicked Fast Podcast with the one of the best to ever do it, Brian Bell. Make sure you check out all those great podcasts. And if you're into sports cards, don't forget, you can always check out Card Vault Breaks on whatnot, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. You can always go check them out in person down at Patriot Place or down at Foxwoods Resort Casino. And the Fenway Card Show, brought to you in part by the Card Vault and DraftKings, May 20th and 21st at Historic Fenway Park. Go to FenwayCardShow.com to purchase tickets. And you can also purchase your autograph tickets as well to get autographs from great former Red Sox players like David Ortiz, Pedro Martinez, Jose Canseco, and many, many more. And you can always get your Banner Banter Podcast merchandise at BigNightShop.com. And just remember, if you haven't heard yet, you have to download the WinBet app. You just have to do it. It's a great app. You got to download it. And you can use the code XBNBANTER, XBNBANTER, to get a $100 bet credit when you place a $20 bet on the WinBet app. And remember, if you or a loved one are experiencing gambling problems, please call 1-800-327-5050. Okay, great. Hey, just right off the bat, this isn't going to be another eight minute and 34 second long podcast like it was yesterday or the day before, whenever the hell it was. Get comfy. This is going to be a full preview of round two against the Philadelphia 76ers, and I have a lot to say. But guess what? The Boston Celtics, they win game six on the road in the ATL. 128 to 120. They will now be playing the Philadelphia 76ers in round two. The Celtics do have home court in this uh, in this series and basically every other series going forward if they do move on. Game one will be Monday night, 7.30 p.m. at TD Garden. Then Wednesday, game two, TD Garden at 8 p.m. And then games three and four will be in Philadelphia with game three being Friday at 7.30 and then Sunday afternoon at 3.30 p.m. The 76ers have not played until April 22nd, but we will talk about that shortly. So let's talk about game six and really the series over Overall, just very quickly, Jason Tatum led the team in points, rebounds, and assists per game. Outside of number 12, you know, he played what? In three of the six games, Jalen Brown led the team in three-point shooting. Those are two superstars, 1A, 1B. You love to see it. They shot 51% from the field, 40% from three, only 12 turnovers per game, 27 assists per game as a team. That's absurd, and it needs to continue. Listen, I know yesterday I talked about they like to make it harder on themselves and they have to prove a lot of people wrong about their mental toughness and all that. And guess what? They did that. What a great win. 
the Hawks kept punching and the Celtics did not care. I mean, I looked a little further into this. In the last two years, the Boston Celtics are 3-0 and in closeout games on the road. That is crazy. That is insane. They are 15-10 and overall in the playoffs in the last two years. Wild. But like, but like I said, they kept punching and punching and punching, and the Celtics did not care. And literally, whichever team made one or two defensive stops in a row, that was going to get the juices flowing. It worked for the Celtics. I thought Missoula put them in good spots. I liked the way his rotations went. They played like a team, and that's exactly why they are in the position that they are now to have home court throughout the rest of the playoffs. They literally got served a beautiful dish, and now they have to eat it, swallow it, and accept it. Like, if the Celtics can close games out like that going forward, 15-7 run, with the main piece of that being Marcus Smart, the way that he controlled the offense, the offense late was perfect and ideal. Yeah. Like, listen, I know Marcus Smart bricks some shots, but during that run, Marcus Smart was vital to everything that happened. He really was. And I know a lot of people will talk about Jalen and Jason dropping 30 points each. They're 23-1 and one together when they do that. I get all that. But Marcus Smart in this series, minus game five, was extraordinarily good, I thought. He gave Trey Young hell in the second half of game six, and that's crazy. So, listen, I know the 76ers get 11 days off now, but these three days off for the Boston Celtics, they get to sleep in their own beds, go through their workout routines at the Red Auerbach Center. All this stuff for the next five or six days is going to be huge. So congratulations to the Boston Celtics. A tip of the cap to the Atlanta Hawks. A very young, talented team with a lot of talent, with a very good coach in Quinn Snyder. It's going to be very interesting what they do moving forward because, you know, you look at the uh, the, the inbound plays at the end of the game. They had like four chances, and Trey Young said after the game, yeah, we haven't had a lot of time to practice that. Um, but a new coach, a new team, uh, for Quinn Snyder, it's going to be very interesting. He's he's a very, very good coach. Trey Young's a very, very good talent. DeJounte Murray's a very, very good talent. John Collins is up and down. Clint Capella's good. Okongu is going to be a great player. Bogdanovich is obviously a solid player. Sadiq Bey is a good player. The Hawks are good, so tip of the cap to them, but thanks for coming out. We're off to round two. What a fucking win. Way to go, fellas. So let's talk about the Philadelphia 76ers, shall we? The Celtics in the regular season beat the 76ers three times. Philly won the most recent game. I think it was April 4th um, in Philadelphia by two points, but the Celtics didn't have some guy named Jalen Brown and number 12 started. So I would say that's a plus. The Celtics have also won the last three playoff series versus the 76ers, including the most recent one, which was a sweep. I don't think that's going to be happening in this case, but, you know, nice to know. And listen, the main story going into this series is Joel Embiid's knee. Joel Embiid is the MVP. He should be the MVP, one of the better players in the league, whether you like him or not. Whatever the case may be, he's a very good basketball player, top five player in the league, and he did not play game four against the Brooklyn Nets due to a LCL sprain in his right knee. After game four, Doc Rivers said that he's 50-50. Since then, we haven't really heard a lot of news coming out that's either been bad or good for the MVP. Um, this, of course, will... I mean, duh, this is going to play a huge role in the series. If he doesn't play game one against the Celtics, here's the thing. Whether he doesn't play game one or if he plays game one and then doesn't play game two, the Celtics cannot take it lightly whether he plays or not. The 76ers are a very good team without him. They are 11-5 and five this year without him. That is an above 500 record. You only have to win four in this series. Now listen, during the regular season, 
each team did like their own thing well and some things not so well. So like, for example, the Celtics were fourth in points per game. The 76ers were 14th. The Celtics shot 47.5% from the field, but the 76ers shot 48.7% from the field. The 76ers were the third best three-point shooting team in the league, while the Celtics were sixth. The 76ers were the best free-throw shooting team in the league, and the Celtics were fourth. Now, that worries me a little bit, because the Celtics, I think, overall in this series shot 75 or 76% against the Hawks in this last series. And if the 76ers are making 85 to 86% of their free throws, you we literally could, these games could be down to a couple points, two or three points. And next thing you know, you lose, and then you look, you go, holy shit, they made 18 out of 20 free throws, and we made 14 out of 20. Just imagine if a couple more of those go in. I guarantee you that will happen at some point in the series. In the 76ers, and here's where the Celtics do have a little bit of an advantage, I think. The Celtics <clears throat> had the seventh most rebounds per game this year. The 76ers were 16th. The 76ers averaged the fourth least amount of offensive rebounds per game this year. The Hawks were ninth. And we all know the Hawks gave the Celtics hell on the offensive class. So the fact that you have the ninth best team and then the, like the 27th or 26th worst team on the offensive class, that's definitely an advantage for the Celtics. And I don't want to say a sigh of relief, but just makes them go, okay, maybe we can do things a little bit differently instead of all of us crashing. You know, both teams take care of the ball, 13 turnovers per game. Offensive rating, the Celtics were second. Defensive rating, Celtics were second. Offensive rating for the 76ers was third. And defensive rating, they were eighth. So again, two top 10 teams in both offensive rating and defensive rating. So this is a pretty even matchup. Now, if we were going to do like a like a draft of the top 10 players for this, you know, you would pick Embiid or Tatum, you know, whatever the case may be. You know, Celtics fans would pick Tatum and 76ers fans would pick Embiid. But I feel like if a normal NBA fan who didn't really care about either team would probably take Embiid first and then Tatum and then Brown and then Harden, Maxi, Derek White, uh, Marcus Smart, Horford. Yeah, Horford's better than Tobias Harris, Tobias Harris and then Malcolm Brogdon. That's what they would do. So obviously you look at the top five picks, the 76ers have three out of the five, but then when you look at the rest, the Celtics have six out of the 10. So the Celtics are deeper. Now you look at their bench, Paul Reed, D'Anthony Melton, Jalen McDaniels, George Niang. I wouldn't be surprised if Demontre Harrell plays in this series, but like here and there, just to piss off Marcus Smart, maybe try and get a T out of him, try and get him tossed, you know, just an energy guy that really doesn't give a fuck, a guy, a guy that will throw a punch or push someone if needed. I do think that D'Anthony Melton and Jalen McDaniels will be used a lot to defend Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Since, let's be honest, Tobias Harris cannot guard either of those guys. They'll just blow right by him. But if the Celtics do go with a double big lineup and P.J. Tucker's out there, I could see P.J. Tucker guarding Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and giving them hell a little bit. I'm not saying a lot. I'm just saying he's a very good defender. And the Celtics need to be aware of that. He's very physical. He stays low to the ground, good center of gravity, all that stuff. So it'll be really interesting to see because... James Harden can't guard Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown. Nope. Tyrese Maxey? <laughs> All set with that. You know, Joel Embiid, I'm sure, could try. I mean, Joel Embiid and Jason Tatum in the offseason practice together, so I'm sure Joel Embiid's seen every single move that Jason Tatum has in his, has his, uh, in his bag. I don't know why I just stuttered, and I think my brain just shut off right there. But that will be really interesting to see how 
Doc, you know, do they play zone uh, against this team, knowing that Tobias Harris and Maxie and Harden cannot guard two of the top 15 guys in the NBA. And then when you look at the numbers, like in the playoffs so far, the Celtics have scored the third most points where the, where the 76ers have scored the fourth least. And, you know, the Nets are a good defensive team, but the fact that fourth least with Embiid on the floor, very interesting. The Celtics and 76ers are tied for three-point shooting, and the 76ers are actually second in rebounding. But then when you look at the Nets lineup, it was like, who's going to rebound the ball after Claxton? But then you look at the Celtics lineup, and it's like, oh, yeah, a lot of guys can rebound the ball well. So like I've been mentioning all playoffs, there are five things that I want the Celtics to do to make me happy. The first is turnovers, of course. The 76ers are a very good defensive team. They average almost 18 points per game off of turnovers, and they like to run when Embiid isn't out there. So if someone steals a pass, they're going to run versus maybe stealing the ball and dribbling it out and making sure Embiid can do a pick and roll, a pick and pop, or just feed the ball to him in the post. So I'll be very interested to see how they do that. And the Celtics have to take care of the basketball. They always do. And I will drill that into everyone's head, and I, I'm, I apologize for sounding like a broken record. But the Celtics can keep care of the ball that the way that they did in seven out of the last eight quarters that they've played, they're going to be really good. I mean, if you take away the fourth quarter in game five, you throw all those turnovers away, literally in the last two games, the Celtics have 11 turnovers. Now, obviously, if you can, if you add both games combined, it's 16. But again, if you take away that fourth quarter in game five, the Celtics in literally seven quarters of basketball only have 11 turnovers. And that has to continue against the 76ers team. What they're doing is great. And that has to, it cannot stop. Speaking of things that cannot stop, three-point shooting. I think for the Celtics and the 76ers, with both of them being very good three-point shooting teams, you have to try and contest a lot of shots. I am hoping for a lot of off-ball movement, screens getting set up for Derek White and Jalen Brown so they can come off of curls and shoot the ball very well, especially maybe Jalen at the elbow, but even for him at three-point shooter. Because Derek and Jalen have quick releases. Tatum takes a little bit longer. But whichever team shoots the ball very well consistently from three will probably win this series. And I know that's not a hot take and hey, no shit, Tim. It's common sense. But it's going to be a focus. We know Joe Missoula. If, if it was up to Joe Missoula, the Celtics would take 103 pointers every single game. That cannot happen. It seems like when the Celtics take less than 40, they play very good basketball. And I hope that can continue. Then when you talk about rebounding, the 76ers are not a good rebounding team. I mean, especially when Joel Embiid isn't on the floor. Now, if he isn't playing game one and the Philadelphia 76ers get more than five off five offensive rebounds, I will riot. There is no way and no point that the Celtics can't crush this team on the boards every single night. Al, Rob, Jason, Jalen, all of them should have, like, Al, Rob, and Jason should easily have eight, nine, ten rebounds every single night. I mean, Al the other night had 14 against a good rebounding team, against Okongwu and Collins and Capella. We could go on and on. The rebounding is so important in this series because if you can limit Joel Embiid getting second chance points or James Harden getting a long rebound for a wide open three, that is a very good thing for this team. Then when you think about headspace, I know I've been talking about headspace a lot with this team. Whatever you did in game six... Take that confidence and carry it with you in the next round. Put it in your backpack. Like, if Embiid is out there, who cares? If Embiid isn't out there, who cares? Play your game. Don't think like, oh, the MVP isn't playing. We're good. Nope. Wrong. I think a lot of people think the 76ers are the underdogs in this series, and it's completely understandable with how much the Celtics have beaten them as of late. But it's not over. 
it's not over at all. I mean, if slash when Joel Embiid flops and it's an awful call and everyone in TD Garden loses their shit, guess who can't lose their shit? Oh, there's my burp. I'm getting really parched. Here's a quick break from Ascentia. Mm, gotta love that overachieving water. Okay, but where was I? Oh, if Embiid flops and everyone loses their mind and he gets two free throws, you cannot care about that. I understand you're going to be upset. It's part of the game. But you cannot be upset that Joel Embiid is flopping and getting calls. He's the MVP. That's the NBA. It sucks. I'm sorry. That's the way it is. That's the way it is. And we have to accept that. Marcus Smart can't try and flop on the next play down. Hopefully Tatum gets some calls as well. But you control the headspace in this series. You are in their heads. They're like, fuck, we have to play this team again? You know, Joel Embiid said a few years ago, it's not a rivalry. Make sure that can continue for the love of God. And then finally, the rotation. I think you're going to see the same rotation from Joe Missoula. I do think we're going to see number 12 more because, in my opinion, number 12 is the younger version of P.J. Tucker, just like built him. P.J. Tucker kicked the shit out of every, anyone. I don't know if number 12 can do that, but we have to prepare ourselves for that. And in some weird way, I'm okay with that because if Embiid does play, I can see Blake Griffin playing a little bit, but I think number 12 helps spread the floor. So if it's number 12, Al, Marcus, Malcolm, and Jason, like all on the floor together, and Bede's just not going to sit there in the paint because you can't leave Al Horford open in the corner and you can't leave number 12 open in the corner. So I, I do think number 12 will see a little bit more, and all he has to do is continue to make jumpers, play good defense, and try to jump and get some rebounds. Now, here are the three things. These are just bullet point notes that I have here. Here are the three things in the series that I am worried about. You know, I'm confident about the rebounding. I'm confident in the three-point shooting. I'm confident that they'll limit their turnovers. I'm confident in the headspace, all that stuff. I'm confident with the, the type of confidence that they have from game six, the intensity that I saw. But there are three things I am a little bit worried about. The first is Tyrese Maxey versus Malcolm Brogdon. Now, I know Derek White can probably keep up with Tyrese Maxey, but when Malcolm Brogdon comes in for Derek White or Marcus Smart, this is where I get a little concerned. Tyrese Maxey is very good. Okay? Let's just get that out of the way. Tyrese Maxey is very good. And he's also very quick. He's very fast. And I was not impressed with Malcolm Brogdon's defense in the Hawks series. It wasn't that good at all, if we're going to be honest. Thoreau, it just wasn't that good. Maxey in his last 10 games has scored 22 points per game, shooting 55% from the floor, 53% from three, four boards, four assists, one steal. And by the way, he's really fast. He really is. He'll get a rebound and he'll, he'll go. Now, the four games this year for Tyrese Maxey, the Celtics have held him to 21% from three, 35% from the floor, and he's only averaging 10 points a game. And that's great. Now, in, in TD Garden, he's shooting 25% from three. And listen, he's gotten a lot better since he's gotten back from uh, his injury. He's a lot better. Now, do I expect Malcolm Brogdon to stop and or control Tyrese Maxey? No, I don't. But I do expect him to keep up with him scoring-wise and being physical with him if Maxey picks him up defensively. Malcolm can get to his spot, use his body, back him down, maybe show, throw a little shoulder in there, get his floater going, get those elbow, you know, those contested elbow jumpers that he does very well. But Malcolm Brogdon offensively has to keep up with Tyrese Maxey because if 
Joel Embiid plays and drops 35. James Harden drops 25. Tyrese Maxey drops 20. Malcolm Brogdon drops 18. That's basically a wash. And now the rest of the Celtics have to beat two guys. So I fully believe Tyrese Maxey versus Malcolm Brogdon is going to be wildly important in this, in this series. I really and truly do. And then the other thing I'm a little worried about is James Harden. And people are like, James Harden? What the fuck are you talking about? I'm worried about the lice in his beard. I'm kidding. Can you get lice in your beard? I'm sure you can. Whatever. That's a different conversation. But throughout his career, James Harden has averaged 22 points, 6 assists, and 5 rebounds against the Celtics. This year, 25 points, 9 assists, and 5 rebounds per game versus the Celtics. And then remember the Nets series in 2021 when the Celtics uh, did the gentleman sweep and beat him in 5 games? Harden averaged 28 points, 10 rebounds, and 7... I'm sorry, 28 points, 10 assists, and 7 rebounds in 5 games against the Celtics. That's wildly impressive. That's very good. I mean, he was playing with Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant. Like, that's very good. (laughs) Marcus Smart, Derek White, Jalen Brown. Hi, hello, how are you? You have to slow this dude down. You have to. Listen, James Harden can still dribble by you. Is it like the Rockets or the OKC Thunder days? No. He's lost a step. He's gained some weight. (laughs) Who hasn't since the pandemic? Am I right? But he can still find that open man if people crash in on him when he gets to the paint, and he will make sure that they hit that that shot. Or he could flop and, you know, throw, throw his left arm up in the air, throw the ball 45 feet in the air, and get a foul call. He's very good at that. And he could also do that you know, step back, jumper, and just pop a jumper in your face. Now, in two of the games against the Nets in the playoffs, he shot 23% from the field, 3 of 13 and in game two, and then 4 of 14 in game four, if I remember correctly. And he hasn't scored more than 23 points so far in the playoffs, which is obviously a good thing. But Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Derek White, hi, hello, how are you? You got to slow him down. You do. Because if you can... If he can't distribute the way that he wants to or score the way that he wants to, then you're relying on Tobias Harris. And Tobias Harris, I'm sure one of these games is going to drop 27 points. It's going to piss me off. But overall, Tobias Harris is basically like Al Horford in this series. Al Horford's probably going to get 12 points a game, 7 or 8 rebounds, whatever the case may be. Tobias Harris is going to be the same way. I'm not really worried about that. James Harden averaging 28, 10, and 7 in the playoffs two years ago against this Basically the same group, guys. That's crazy. But whatever Marcus did to Trey Young in the second half of Game 6 has to be on steroids versus James Harden throughout this series. So Tyrese Maxey versus Malcolm Brogdon. James Harden overall. And this last thing is what is going to make me go to therapy more or have a stroke. I am concerned about the double big lineup when it's defending the three-point shot. I'm not worried about it defensively. Um, Outside of this one aspect, I'm not worried about it offensively. Whatever the case may be. John Collins, Atlanta Hawks player, number 20, short shorts, shot 34% from three in that six-game series against the Celtics. This season, he shot 29% from three overall. So he shot five percentage points better. Not ideal. P.J. Tucker this year has shot 39%, and his career overall is 36%. So 10% better. P.J. Tucker. Tobias Harris, 37% career three-point shooter. This year, 39%. George Niang, 40% three-point shooter this year and throughout his career. One of the things that drove me nuts, and I mentioned it very quickly in the last episode, 
The Boston Celtics need to close out on corner three-point shooters better. They really do, especially Allen Robb. I feel like every corner three-point shot that John Collins or DeAndre Hunter took in that six-game series against the Hawks was wide open. No one flew at him. No one tried to do the cornet court test. None of that. Little annoying. I cannot live with P.J. Tucker, George Niang, and Tobias Harris hitting wide-open three-pointers when the Celtics are such a good defensive team. James Harden is going to drive to the hole. Okay, Al's going to come off the wing and crash. He's going to be guarding P.J. Tucker, and P.J. Tucker is going to be sitting there shooting a wide-open three. Good chance he makes it, 39% this year. And it is going to happen a lot in this series. And it is going to kill me every single time because even if Embiid is out on the floor and the Celtics double him in the post, he will pass out of it as long as he doesn't flop. Tobias Harris will be open for a corner three-pointer. Rob and Al have to at least try. Not like block the shot. Try to distract them. Try to put a hand in their face somehow, some way to rotate properly, whether Embiid is on the floor or not, to make sure that P.J. Tucker, Tobias Harris, and George Niang aren't chilling in the corner like they're number 12, just jacking up three-pointers because it will bite the Celtics in the ass. It will. You can quote me on that. I fully believe that the Boston Celtics are going to win this series in six games, but I promise you, In two of those losses in this series, we are going to be like, I can't believe Tobias Harris, P.J. Tucker, and George Niang were so wide open for all their three-point shots. Listen, I'm not saying the Celtics need to stop it. All I'm saying is it happened to John Collins, and John Collins is not a good three-point shooter. P.J. Tucker, Tobias Harris, and George Niang are good three-point shooters. So don't leave the good three-point shooters. Now, that could have been a defensive set by Joe Mazzulla, will live and die by John Collins making three or shooting threes. That's fine. You can't do that against those three because they will they will literally just chill there and be like, go ahead, Tyrese. Go ahead, Joel. Go ahead, James. I'll be here. I got you, bud. Don't worry about it. I'll be Yep, yep. Whatever you need, I'm here. And they'll hit them. But just fly out and contest because there were sometimes Rob would just take a step forward, put his hand up. No, run. Go after him. You have and then... If Rob and Al do go out or number 12 or Jason do fly out, the other four of you have to crash and get a rebound. Don't let them take their time. Put some pressure on their three-point shooters in this series, for the love of God. So yeah, my prediction, Celtics in six, episode 221, out on Tuesday morning. We'll see you at TD Garden on Monday night. Thanks for all your support, as always. We'll talk soon. Toodles and noodles, X's and O's. Bye-bye. Sorry, but I'm gone. I'm history. And I dedicated my life to the Boston Celtics. I dedicated my life to the fans of Boston. I did my very best to please each and every one of you. Good night.